in this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. I'll let you get there. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Lord, we are thankful for your good, wonderful, encouraging gift to us in your book. The Bible is your book. It comes from you. You are the source of it all. You chose to use people to write it down, but it's your words. And so help us to give the attention uh, it deserves this morning. Help us to focus our minds and to draw close with our hearts to these words of life, these words that are intended to help us realize all that you've given us that pertain to life and godliness. They contain very precious promises. And so we ask now that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say, give us minds to receive it, and souls uh, for it to be planted in that might spring forth and bear fruit to the glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, interactive with me, uh, interact with me this morning as we just do a quick review of the book of Romans so far. So, the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church was also written to all churches of all time, uh, is a letter about what? The gospel. Now, I'm, I'm actually asking you to respond with me this morning. That's right. So it's a letter about the the gospel. And the gospel is, uh, the theme of this letter is found in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God, or how to have a right relationship with God, is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it was written in the Old Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. And we need the gospel, and we need to know how to have a right relationship with God because chapter 1, 18 through 3.20 says that we are condemned. That's right. That's condemnation. That's the subject of those a couple of chapters. Condemnation. We all deserve God's wrath because we are sinners who have rebelled against him. And, and that's true of everyone that is born of Adam's race, fallen race. Uh, we're, we're sinners three times over. We're sinners by virtue of 
It comes to us via natural childbirth. Our parents were sinners. We are sinners too. And our children are sinners. And their children will be sinners. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are sinners by virtue of the fact that Adam acted as our federal head when he chose to disobey God. Just as, you know, the President of the United States acts for us as citizens of the United States, Adam acted as the federal head of the whole human race, even though it was quite small at the time, but everyone that would come from him all sinned in him. And we are condemned also because we choose to sin, because it's our nature to do so. So we are condemned. And then, beautifully, Paul explains to us, how we receive the righteousness of God. It is through faith. What's the key word to 3.21 through 5.21? Yeah, justification. Thank you, dear wife. Justification, which doesn't mean just as if I never sinned. It means I am declared righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what? Faith in the redemption that he purchased through his own blood. Faith in the fact that he became the propitiation for our sin. He bore the wrath of God in our place. We were singing about it. We just celebrated it through remembrance. Uh, we are justified by faith. And then Paul ends up in chapter 6 through 8, uh, revealing to us what justification by faith leads to or how it impacts us in totality and and he starts off with the fact that through justification by faith we become dead to sin its penalty and its power chapter six and then in chapter seven and he says that we are dead to the law its penalty and its power and then in chapter eight he says that we are alive in the the spirit we are alive in the spirit and uh, so far in chapter 8, we've, we've seen, uh, Paul starts out with this beautiful statement. No more beautiful statement in all the Bible, probably, that uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. No pronouncement or execution of God's judicial wrath will come upon those who are in Christ. Why again? Because he bore the wrath for us. He, be, he became the sin bearer that... His righteousness could be imputed to our account, could be delivered to us. Hallelujah. So we, we don't face condemnation anymore because Christ, in Christ we have been pardoned or set free. And, uh, and, and then we saw also that Christ paid the penalty, right? He paid the penalty that we rightly deserved. And so consequently in verse 4 Paul says, because of the spirit of life that has set us free from the law of sin and death, we should have the righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in us. In other words, the spirit does that. We don't do it. We, don't, we can't force ourselves to keep the law, to do the law. That was all chapter 7. That ends in misery and despair and failure. But with the spirit indwelling us, we can have the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us. And so consequently, what he's saying is, we can live like Christ. Finally, we can live like Christ. And uh, that's, that's just something to rejoice in. And then in verses 5 through 11, Paul talked about the fact that there's two different categories of people that exist in the world. Those who uh, have the Spirit indwelling them and those that don't. Those who are Christians and those who 
aren't. Those that, uh, you know, set their mind on the things of the flesh and those, and those that set their minds on the things of the spirit. He's not talking about two types of Christians, but two different types of people, the saved and the unsaved. And then in chapter, uh, in verse 12 he, and 13, he talks about the fact, fact that Jesus paid the penalty for us. That we saw in verse 3 and 4. But we still have a debt to pay. And he, he says, we are debtors. We are debtors. We owe a debt. And, uh, you know, he paid the debt that we could never pay, right? The wages of our sin. He paid that debt. But we still have a debt. We, we are debtors to God, and, and, but it's not to live according to the flesh. It's to live according to the spirit, he said. We have that kind of a debt. We owe. You know that popular phrase, I owe, I owe, I owe. It's off to work I go. And it's like, I owe, I owe God. Not to work for salvation, but I owe him because I have been saved by him through the sacrifice of Christ. So that brings us up to where we left off last week, um, beginning in verse 14. So Paul moves from what believers do by the Spirit to what the Holy Spirit is doing for believers. Now again, I remind you in verse 12 and 13, it talks about what, what believers do by virtue of the Spirit indwelling them. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, notice that phrase, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what, what uh, you know, we do by the Spirit is we live by Him and we put to death the things that are not associated with him, that will not bring glory to God. We put those things to death. And I, I gave you a list of those kinds of things out of Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the, the, the list of the deeds of the flesh, all bad. I don't know. I think it's really bad. And that's, you know, what we saw. But uh, we, we are to live by the Spirit. But now in verse 14, he really is talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing for believers. He says uh, this, and, and, and what he's doing is he's saying that the Spirit's ministry in verses 14 through 17, which we just read a little bit ago, is, is that of attestation, attesting to something that is true in our lives. It's the evidence or proof of our relationship with God. That's what the Spirit's doing in these verses. He's attesting to the fact that we are members of God's family. He writes, Paul does, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So being led by the Spirit is evidence or proof or to attest to the fact that we are children of God, is what he's saying. Those who are not being led by the Spirit are not children of God. Now, the, the negative is not stated, but it's understood, right? If you're led by the Spirit, it proves you're a child of God. If you're not led by the Spirit, it, it really proves that you're still in the flesh, a child of the devil. So the connection is seen, is seen by the first word of verse 14. Notice it, four. Four. 
and, and, and it's, it's making the connection between what he has just said and what he is going on to say. He's, he, the preceding talked about believers putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, right? By the Spirit, they're putting to death the deeds of the body. And, and the reason that they are able to do that is because of what the Spirit is doing in them and confirming to them that they are children of God. So the question is, what in the world does Paul mean by those that are being led or are led by the Spirit? What is that? I think it's oftentimes misunderstood. Some uh, suggest that the speaking, uh, this is speaking about something the, the Spirit does at, at crisis times in our lives. You know, or when uh, important or significant decisions need to be made. So when we're making a decision about what house to buy or what car to purchase, I need the Spirit's guidance you know, at, that, at that time. When we're making a decision about uh, whether we should stay where we live or move to another place, whether it's in-state or, or in-city or out-of-state, not out-of-city, I need the Spirit's guidance at that time. Uh, when we're making a decision uh, about what we should do if our son or daughter comes to us and says, uh, you know, I've been sexually active and a baby is on the way. <laughs> Boy, I need the Spirit's leading at that time in, in my life. It's, uh, it's how we should respond when being attacked for our faith. Need the Spirit to lead me. What we should do when we feel that we or our family is endangered by someone else. It, and, and so it's suggested that uh, we need his leading at times like that. Crisis situations or significant decisions. Well, the truth is we do need his leading at times like that. But not only then. That's the point. It's not only then. When we see this in context, actually, what Paul is talking about is the Holy Spirit leading us while we're putting to death the deeds of the body. Again, look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all, connecting it, for all who are led by the Spirit, in putting to death the deeds of the body are the children of God. And, and this is not, you know, this is not something that happens, you know, sporadically. This is something that doesn't happen every now and then. This is something that takes place day in and day out, moment by moment. Uh, the verb is written in the present tense. It would maybe be better translated, those who are being led by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, indicating the ongoing need we have of being directed by the Holy Spirit in our daily walk. So let me put it in terms that I think is in the context. So how do I keep from getting angry at my spouse and saying things that I shouldn't? Any of you ever had that struggle? How, how, how do I do that? By being led by the Spirit. How do I deal with the temptation to gossip or slander or backbite, you know, tell stories about someone else? 
I know none of you ever struggle with anything like that, but I do. How do I deal with that? By the leading of the Spirit. How, how do I keep from committing sexual immorality? Whether it's, you know, physically or online or in my heart. How do I, how do I deal with that? By being led by the Spirit. I can keep from doing that. How do I put away envy over what other people have that I don't? I want it. I want it. How do I deal with that? How do I address it? By following the lead of the Spirit. How do I keep from using speech that tears others down in order to build myself up? How am I to address that kind of problem? By the leading of the Spirit of God. How, how do I keep from letting anger and bitterness take away my joy and my peace? I think you can guess the answer to it. By the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? That's what Paul is talking about, putting to death the deeds of the body by following the lead of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's his point. All who are putting to death the deeds of the body are doing so because they are being led by the Spirit of God to do so, which then attests to the fact that they are children of God. This is quite beautiful. Again, notice who it is that's doing doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. We do this by the Spirit. Now, we are engaged. We must do something. It's not let go and let God and you're just passive. No, we have to obey and submit. But it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it in and through us. Now, let me say one more important point about the, the Spirit's leading of believers. When, when, we, when we read the word leading all those who are led by the Spirit of God, we quite naturally think of the word following. Right? They kind of go together. Leading and following. And so we might see this as a Spirit being out in front of us and we're simply following His path. Like when, I remember the first time I took my son Christopher deer hunting in Kodiak and, and we split into teams and one day Christopher and I were together and Pastor Tom and another guy were together, and, and I was walking in the lead. And I noticed that wherever I stepped, my son stepped. He was following my lead, one step after another. In fact, you know, it had snowed the second day that we were there. And if you, you would have followed the tracks, you would have thought there was just one person walking because he was stepping in my steps. He was following my lead. And and in, in some sense, that is true, that the, the Spirit is out in front of us and, and we're simply following His lead. However, the word that is used here for being led, a very common word in the, in the New Testament, it, the Greek word ago, or some form of it, often has a stronger sense than that, a stronger meaning than just following. It refers to influencing the influencing of others as to cause them to follow a recommended course or a recommended path. For example, it, uh, it can 
have this meaning, to be compelled. To be compelled to do something. So, here's a few examples of that. The, the woman that was caught in adultery that was led to Jesus by her accusers, they weren't out in front of her and her just happily following behind them, right? They compelled her to be brought before Jesus in, in the hopes that they could trap Jesus. That's in John 8, verse 3, that word is used. It was also used of Jesus when he was led before Pilate by the religious leaders on, on, at the day of his trial. And again, it's, it's not the picture, of, when you read through the Gospels, that, I mean, he's forcibly being compelled to uh, where Pilate was located to be judged by him. It was also used of Jesus after he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And, and, and it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was to be tempted by the devil. And, and that's the, the word that Matthew and Luke use, the same word. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But Mark gives it, uh, it this way. He wrote that Jesus, that the Spirit drove Jesus, drove him out into the wilderness. It's a different word, but it's expressing the same idea. It's a compelling influence for Jesus going out into the wilderness. So Jesus was compelled by the Spirit, not against his will, but in conjunction with it, right? I mean, Jesus was all for it. It's like it wasn't like he and the Spirit were in conflict and, you know, he had to be arrested and compelled by the Spirit. No, it was in conjunction with it, but he was compelled to do that. So, that is how we should understand the Spirit's leading in our lives as believers. I mean, it's this inward force that is compelling us to put to death the deeds of the body and to walk in a way that glorifies God. Uh, this would suggest, I, I, I believe, that if we are believers and are not fulfilling our debt, our obligation to submit to the Spirit's leading, we are doing more than simply choosing not to obey. We are actually fighting off and resisting the compelling influence of the Spirit of God driving us toward sinning less and living more holy. That puts it a little bit stronger language. Well, I just didn't obey the Holy Spirit. No, the Spirit is compelling me to obey, compelling me to put to this to death, not to do this, but to do this instead. And it's like, oh, no, get away from me, Holy Spirit. I'm resisting your influence at this point. Kind of puts it in terms that make our decisions a little bit more significant, doesn't it? So, it is important. And by the way, he's compelling us, uh, you know, not against our will, really, but in conjunction with it. And I say that because we have a different will once we are justified by faith in Christ and he takes up residence. He changes our will. He changes our desires. He changes us from the inside out. So this is, you know, this is what we are to do. It's so important that as believers we are learning to 
order our lives with the commitment to and a dependence on the Holy Spirit uh, and that we submit to him as he leads us to put to death the, the type of activities that belong to our old self and choose rather to do what would bring honor and glory to God. And this is what genuine believers do, is what Paul is saying, and it is proof or evidence. It is attesting to the fact that they are members of God's family. So as believers, we must be learning to submit to the Spirit's leading. Now, there's still a question of, it's like, what, what does that mean, the Spirit's leading? Is, it like, is that like a feeling that I get? I feel like the Spirit's told me to do this. Or is it like something else? A lot of people think it's just a feeling. It's like, I should do this and not this. I, I spoke to a person one time who told me that they, they, they got out of their vehicle and they were going in to meet with someone. There were two doors into the building. They said the, the, the Holy Spirit led me to go in that door and not that door. And, and I was like, well, that's odd. I, I didn't know how to respond. It was like, I don't see that kind of thing. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. How does he lead us? Well, I can tell you how he leads us. He leads us through the word of God. He gives us understanding of the word of God. And this is where we get direction on putting to death the deeds of the body and and what kind of activities will bring glory to God. This is primarily how he does it. He leads us through principles that are found in the word of God. He leads us through truth that is in the word of God. He, he also leads us through the counsel of wise believers. We, if we have questions about someone, we can go and talk to someone else. Maybe they've gone through the same thing. And, and so they can maybe assist us in even seeing what the word of God says about that kind of thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that having a, a feeling is not ever going to happen, that the spirit doesn't do that. But that's not primarily what it's talking about. Uh, he, he leads us through our conscience as well, right? I have a feeling that just doesn't sound right. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether I should go to that movie. Uh, maybe, maybe the Spirit would be telling you, maybe you should check out the language that's used in that movie. Or I don't, I don't know if I should go to that uh, event where there's going to be a lot of drinking involved and there'll be pressure for me to be involved in that. So he uses his word and he uses other people and he uses our conscience, you know, that he is building the longer we know uh, the Lord and we're growing in the word of God, it becomes easier to follow his lead, right? That's what he's talking about. Next, if, if, so if we are the children of God and, and we, we should not only be learning to submit to the Spirit's leading, we should also be learning to listen to what he's saying. Now, on your insert, that shows 8.1, but that actually should be uh, 8.15 through 17. So if you wanted to change that on your insert, learning to listen to what the Spirit's saying, that's verses 15 through 17. Now, this is generally true, that we should be learning to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. You know, and again, he does that through the word of God, through the counsel of others, through our conscience, sometimes through, you know, just a feeling that we have of what would be right or wrong. He can do that as well. 
Um, but that's not what Paul's talking about here, really. He is talking about one particular subject. He relates listening to what the Spirit is saying regarding one specific subject that the Spirit is communicating to those who are in Christ. And that subject is they're members of God's family. This is wonderful. The Spirit wants us to listen to him when he tells us, hey, you're a child of God. Hey, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Hey, you're in God's family. Live like it. Live like it. You know, it's like I could have a conversation with one of my kids if I see them doing something wrong. Let's say that maybe they stole something from a store and they, you know, they get caught and it comes before me and I say, hey, son, Steenmeyers don't steal. We don't do that in this family. I had that conversation about lying multiple times with our family. One thing we don't do, we don't lie to one another. Because that destroys trust. Uh, So in this family, this is what we do. And this is what we don't do. And that's kind of what Paul is saying is that the Spirit is telling us we're moving, uh, telling us that we're members of God's family. So he moves from the practical day-by-day leading of the Spirit to an explanation of how it is possible that we can follow the Spirit's lead. That's what he's doing. Verse 15 is the third verse in succession that begins with the word for. As he elaborates on sonship and being members of God's family and and on the Holy Spirit's role in that. Look back again, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For this reason, or let me explain that, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you live by the Spirit, or you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let me express that again in different words. Let me explain that more fully. For all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, So let me explain that even more fully. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So while it is generally true that we are to follow the Spirit's leading and listen to his voice through the word and others and and through our conscience. Here it is particularly saying, listen to him telling you, reminding you over and over again, you're a child of God. You're a member of God's family. And, 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 And the spirit that you received is not the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So two things about this verse or this Statement. First, Paul speaks about what took place at the moment of our conversion. The moment that we were justified by faith in Christ, something happened. Now, how do I know that that's what he's talking about? Because the verb received is actually in the past tense. He's looking back to at the moment that you received forgiveness, the moment that you were justified by faith in Christ, you received a spirit. Right? A spirit, whether that's the Holy Spirit that he's referencing or not. We'll get to that in a moment. But you receive something. So he's talking about what took place in the past. And that most directly refers to when you were born again. Second, he identifies what was not received and what was received. Right? You have received 
not the spirit of slavery or bondage, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Okay, now this is going to get just a little, little technical with some language here. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't see it in your, your English uh, translation. So I, I'm just going to re- say it, and you can take it or not. You can throw it out the window if you want. But the lack of a direct article in the Greek text with the, the phrase, the spirit of slavery, so it is a spirit of slavery, not the spirit of bondage. And it is a spirit of adoption, not the spirit of adoption. There's no direct article, the word the, in either of those phrases. So it's, it's unclear as to whether well, what Paul's referring to is, it, I'll give you three options. One is it's both of them are referring to a mood or a state, a state of bondage, a mood of fear, or a state or a move of adoption, meaning knowing that you're thankful that you're adopted into God's family. Or it, it could refer uh, the first one to a mood or a state, a state or mood of bondage, and then the second one is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. The word the is not there, but it could be that almost all of our English translations will represent that understanding. And and you can see that by virtue of the fact that the word spirit in the second one is capitalized. The uppercase S, right? And the first one, it's lowercase s. And they're, so they're telling you the first one is a mood or a state, and the second one is the Holy Spirit. Or, I'll tell you, it could be a reference to the Holy Spirit in both of them, and the lack of a direct article is there because it's trying to emphasize the result. Bondage and fear versus adoption and freedom from condemnation. So... Spencer, which one is it? Which one's right? I don't know. How do you like that? I, I think it's unclear. We can't be certain. But what we can be certain of is this, that the entire focus of this passage is on the Holy Spirit. We're alive in the Spirit. And so it, it, at the very least, regarding of which one of those is correct, it is telling us that the Spirit first negatively uh, does not produce within the children of God a, a, a spirit of bondage to sin and fear of condemnation. That's what he rescues us from, right? That's chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, and then positively, uh, that he does produce within believers an understanding that they've been adopted into God's family. And that they are free from any condemnation from sin. Praise God that he does that for us. So let's consider for a moment this, uh, this wonderful truth that the Spirit communicates to us about adoption. Adoption. Paul is the only writer in the New Testament that uses this word. He does so five times, three times here in Roman, and, and two other times. 
And his aim is to show, each time he's using it, is to show the sonship of believers, the being a member of God's family is not a natural one, but is brought about by divine action. It's brought about by divine action. That's the, the force of why he uses this word. We who are believers were members of the devil's family, weren't we? I, that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Your father is the devil. And Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, you were by nature children of wrath, following the spirit who's working in the sons of disobedience, rule the prince of the power of the air. And, and so we were part of the devil's family. He was our father, but in God's grace, he reached out to us through Christ and adopted us into his family. So I, I would love it if you'd interact with me every now and then with a, a more, you know, amen. If you were at the uh, Padres fan, you were at the game yesterday, you, they were yelling. They were excited, especially when the Padres ended up winning the game and beat them L.A. Dodgers. It's like we come to church and it's like, come on, come on, this is exciting. We're out of the devil's family. We're adopted into God's family. There you go. There you go. More appropriate. F.F. Bruce commentary remarks that the term adoption may smack of artificiality and unwantedness in our, in our day. But he goes on to show that in the first century, in the Roman and Greek world, adoption, far from suggesting inferiority of position in in comparison to that of the naturally born children in a family, was actually a means of putting the one not naturally born into a higher status, a position with great privilege. So when it's kept in mind, he says, that the one so honored owed his privilege to the choice of the adopting parent, not the child, but the adopting parent, the adopted one, instead of feeling inferior regarded himself or herself as deeply privileged. So, is that how you feel? Is that how you feel? I hope so. And and if it is how you feel, that you're deeply privileged because God rescued you from that horrible family and he chose to adopt you into his family, then I, I think it will be demonstrated by our commitment to follow the leading of the Spirit and to live by the Spirit. Adoption also meant that the previous father lost all rights to the one who was adopted. Well, that's true in, in our day as well. It's supposed to be that way, right? You adopt a child, the, the, the birth parents, birth mother, or birth mother and father lose that control. It's in, it's in the new parents, the adopting parents camp now. So the one adopted in, in that world had all the rights and privileges equal to those who were naturally born into the family. But sonship in that way also meant that the one adopted had the responsibility of living under their adopted parents' authority. And, and, and 
were responsible to fulfill certain duties as being a child within that family. So it's no different for us who have been adopted into God's family by his choice of us. Our previous father, the devil, has lost all his rights and to rule over our life. That's what we've been celebrating as we've looked at Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, we're, we, we, he's lost that power to rule over us through penalty and you know, shame and guilt and so on. He doesn't have the right over us that he used to. We all share all the privileges and rights that belong to Christ, the unique Son of God, the, if you will, the naturally born, I mean, his supernatural birth at his incarnation. But he's, he would be like the natural born child. We're the adopted children, right? And it means, therefore, that we have the obligation, like Christ, to fulfill the duties of those who are the children of Christ. You remember what Jesus said over and over again in John's gospel? I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't speak my own words. I speak the will, the words of him who sent me. And so Paul continues from there by relating that what the Holy Spirit is saying to believers is what he says through believers. Get this, this is beautiful. What he is saying to believers, he's also saying through believers. By whom we cry, Abba. Father. Now, Abba is their Aramaic word, and some of you would know this, some of you may not. It's the Aramaic word for father, and it was originally a word that was derived from the babbling of a, a, of a little child, one just learning to speak. And so, Abba, this word, is found only three times in the New Testament. In, in Mark 14, 36, it is Jesus praying in the garden just before he's arrested. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then here in Romans eight fifteen, and, and then uh, also Galatians 4, 6, that's very similar where Paul writes, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, it is striking to me, and it should be to you, that no, uh, this comes out of uh, a theological dictionary, this information, that nowhere in the entire wealth of devotional literature produced by Judaism, ancient Judaism, do we find it being used as a way of addressing God. And that would include the Old Testament as well. The, the pious Jew knew too much of the great gap between holy God and you know, sinful man to be free to address God with a familiar word used in terms of endearment with the Father. So believers in Christ crying out to God, the Spirit speaking through them, saying, Abba, is something that is introduced in the New Testament, in a sense, first by Christ, who taught his disciples. They said, teach us to pray. And he said, we'll pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. Now, that's not the word Abba there. It's a different term, but it's, 
It's something that would have been startling to his audience because Jews didn't refer to God that way. It was too intimate. They saw God more as the transcendent God, far removed from people, just orchestrating things. And Jesus said, no, talk to God, talk to your heavenly Father. And this word is even stronger in that endearment. Um, it's quite beautiful. It's something introduced by Christ and then by the Apostle Paul as well. Abba was a term of endearment and affection, and that's precisely what the Spirit is communicating to us and understanding our, the intimate relationship that we have with God as our Heavenly Father. Huh. Those who are in Christ are His children. They're members of his family. Now, if you were to talk to most fathers, they would maybe tell you that the first word that any of their children uttered was the word daddy. Even if it sounded more like Pennsylvania, or hippopotamus, or donut, or no. You know, as kids will often say their first word, no. Uh, maybe it sounded like the, they were picking up the Russian word for yes, da. He said, Daddy. All right, it's awesome. But, uh, you know, Paul's not necessarily suggesting that as believers we should call God Daddy or Papa. I know that that's become kind of popular for some. Um, I don't think he's suggesting that, but rather is stressing that What the Holy Spirit is saying to us and through us is communicating the certainty that as believers we recognize and appreciate and take advantage of the fact that God is our Father and he listens to our prayers. This is a prayer, right? We cry out in prayer, Abba, Father. What a joy it is for us who are members of God's family to cry out knowing to our father, to cry out knowing that uh, he is a father who listens to us. So while God, it is true, is high and lifted up above all the earth, as Isaiah wrote, he is also condescending to dwell with us as in an intimate relationship uh, as a father with a child. Okay, I'm contemplating right now whether to finish this. How about we just finish it up next week? Because it really leads into what Paul addresses in detail, um, starting at the end of verse 17. It's still going to be under listening to what the Spirit says, but we'll stop there for today. Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful for your gift to us of your word tried to give it our attention this morning I pray that uh, I've not confused it for people but rather made it a little bit more clear of this wonderful benefit or truth that we have regarding as, as children of God the Holy Spirit dwelling on us and enabling us to live in a way that brings you honor and glory that he is one who leads us. And whether he's uh, 
pulling us from the front or pushing us from the rear, compelling us, is always to the same end that we would be avoiding and putting away and putting to death the types of behaviors and attitudes and thought processes and desires, all of those things that used to be part of our old self. And that self has died. It was crucified with Christ. Instead, he, he directs us to, to think like you think, Father, to have a heavenly perspective, a, a, a worldview that matches your worldview. And he changes our desires, and he changes our actions, he changes our speech, he changes everything about us. And that is particularly true when we as believers recognize what he's telling us all the time, that you're, you're a member of God's family, so live like it. You're a child of God. Honor the Son of God. Live in a way that is worthy of your calling in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help us to do that. Help us to do precisely what uh, we've been encouraged to do by the word of God today. And may you receive all the glory as a result. And we want to thank you too for the food that we're going to eat and the fellowship that we will have. That's a wonderful provision that you've given us for life and godliness as well. So all praise be to you in Jesus' name. Amen.